everyone. Welcome to Big Business Briefs with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. And this week, we're discussing something that's been talked about an awful lot at the moment, and that is net zero. Uh, we thought we'd investigate what it actually is and what it might mean to business. So, Heather, net zero, it's all over the news at the moment, isn't it? Uh, with with the the climate change meetings and and all sorts of stuff going on. Um, And I just thought, actually, net zero, net, as opposed to gross, (laughs) what's the difference? (laughs) Um, So that was the first thing I looked up. What is net zero and what is gross zero? So um, gross zero, it's pretty much like accounts, really. Gross zero is the top line. It's the actual emissions that uh, you send out. And um, what I learned was that um, gross zero isn't realistically attainable because there are some industries that just can't get by without emitting. However, net zero is when you um, also take into account the greenhouse gases, etc., that have been removed from the atmosphere. So you put into the atmosphere and you take back out by whatever means, and then you get to net zero. And it is the aim in the UK to be at net zero by 2050. Okay, that's not, it's not actually that long, is it? No, not really, is it? I mean, it, it seems like um, science fiction to me, so um, <laughs> being born in, the, in the, something that begins with a 19, um, you know, sort of years beginning with 20 seem like the future still, but actually we're, yeah. <laughs> we're already well into them, aren't we? So, we are. yeah, yeah, not that far away at all. It, it's a massive political sort of hot potato, isn't it? Particularly with this COP26 um, conference that's that's taking place next week. I, I mean, I didn't even I didn't even know that gross zero was a thing. You know, oh, it just goes to show how little um, I know about it. I came across an article on um, a website, uh, Make UK, uh, which is the website of the manufacturers organisation, and they've got loads of articles relating to uh, all sorts of things. Um, not only from a manufacturing point of view, but to from a business point of view and sort of the economy in general. And they've published a um, a paper on the subject, which is really long. Um, but there are elements in it. You know me, I like a visual. So um, some some really good visuals that help to sort of explain certain things. And the bit that I found particularly interesting was they were talking about scope emissions. So scope one are emissions that are are directly generated by a manufacturing operation. Then scope emissions two are indirect from purchased energy. So you don't have that much control over that. You can control scope one. And then scope three um, is the the stuff that happens afterwards so from a manufacturing point of view you have limited control so you can you can do what you can to um reduce scope one emissions and then it's a case of working with organizations who who are really focusing on their scope one emissions if that makes sense yeah uh, it does make sense yes you you want your um supply chain to to get involved with you as well don't yes. you yes yeah, because the only control you have over that is choosing who you use um, and how they behave. Um, so I thought that was I thought that was really interesting. Um, 
but I, it's just such a massive subject. I mean, I didn't even know, maybe I'm just ignorant, I don't know. I didn't even know what COP26 really was and why it existed and, um, you know, what it what its aims are. Um, Do you know? A bit, a bit more, yes. I know that it was set up in 2015 um, and it was where people, leaders joined forces to try and accelerate um, efficiencies on a global level. But they're actually, the measurable um, elements are that they want to keep global temperature rises well below two degree, two degrees centigrade. So what they're trying to do is reduce the increase um, between certain parameters and um, the goals are legally binding and are enshrined in the Paris Agreement, which happened in 2015. So, so as countries, we have a legal obligation to aim to do that. Um, and we have to come back every five years to explain as part of the treaty what we're putting in place. So it's not the government that's driving this, it's the collective that's driving this and we've signed up to it. Therefore, um, you know, we're, we're obliged to, to do things to, um, to achieve that, to do our bit to help to achieve that goal. Mm. Um, that's interesting oh well i also then um googled is is it possible to reach net zero by 2050 and Mm. i came across a a good article um on energy saving trusts website uh, energysavingtrust.org.uk and uh, this article said that it is a bold target and will require significant changes within the next 10 years, not just 2050, because obviously it doesn't just switch. We need to make significant changes right now. Uh, I was interested to read that according to um, figures released in March this year, emissions in the UK have already reduced by 48.8% from 1990. But it does say that um, the the pandemic has had a significant impact um, due to um, the gas emissions from transport and industry last year um but it says that in this article that the reduction is largely due to change in the way we generate energy if you ignore the covid19 impact um but it says we also need to change the way we use energy in our lives so generating ed- energies had a big impact now we also have to look at how we actually use it and we're going to have to start to um really be consistent with our policies and pushing the boundary with technologies and I think I've seen that in industry just recently there's an awful lot of push towards looking at carbon emissions in um in the industry that I work it's a big topic and lots of products are now being promoted as having lower carbon and and, um, more sustainable but also there's the projects going on in the northwest um, to do with we talked about recently about the storing the CO2 Um, there's also um, massive moves to make hydrogen and and I was reading recently you know we talked about blue and green hydrogen recently and uh, this big project about the CO2 storage is, is largely based around blue hydrogen but there is some big investment in green hydrogen as well certainly taking place in, in the UK and 
as one particular company that I was reading about that's aiming to become the main supplier of green hydrogen in the UK and Europe. So there's a lot of ambition with companies at the moment. But if you like a graph, Heather, do take a look at this article on Energy Saving Trust website because it shows in graphical form just how much work we need to do in the different areas to reduce emissions by 2050. So it goes from heating, transport, electricity, aviation, diet, stroke, agriculture, and waste. And I've got to say, as far as graphs go, it's fairly impactful. So we're looking here at um, a graph of um, CO2 emissions in kilograms. And by far the most impactful line that you see on this graph is to do with heating. And I imagine this is domestic and industrial heating. But at the moment, it's the longest bar at 2745 kilograms, 2745 kilograms. And it's saying that we need to be um, reduced by 2050 to 138. Wow, okay. 2745 to 138. Uh, that, that's just uh, massive. That's halving it, isn't it? That's a... No, no, 138, 138 from oh, 2745. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you yeah. Need the graph. You need the graph, not the numbers, <laughs> don't you, Heather? Yeah. Uh, transport, it's saying here, um, so using the 2017 figure, 2376, so 2376, almost yeah. as long as the heating bar chart. It's saying by 2050, that needs to be down to zero. Wow, okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, yeah. Um, you're going to be looking for your electric car, Heather. Well, there's um, there's a 10-point plan because the government are investing um, £12 billion, um, although Labour say that actually there was already um, uh, eight put, you know, put forward. So there's some obviously some political stuff there. But yeah. there's the whole you know ban on the sale of combustion engine vehicles by 2030, um, like you said, hydrogen, some investment in nuclear, carbon capture, those types of things, um, and the whole insulation of domestic and commercial properties, um, public buildings, etc., um, to 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 reduce the the use of fuel for heating them. But it's all um, what I don't really understand. And again, this might just be me. How, how do we measure these things? <laughs> well, it's interesting you say that because uh, we've we've recently in, in the company I work for just started to look at our carbon footprint. And there's a okay. number of key figures that we've we've plugged into a fairly simple spreadsheet. And obviously, I'm not going to reveal all those details, no. but you, you can look at it, you know, in terms of your energy consumption and and. A number of things like that. it's not precise because obviously that you know there's all sorts of variables that that could happen you know and, and you're talking the spreadsheet here but on a on a very general scale it is actually quite straightforward to work out certainly from an energy consumption um viewpoint what your carbon fr- footprint can be it gets more complicated when you do look at your supply chain then because obviously we're talking about um zero carbon emissions from transport that's just from the actual vehicles themselves 
but what about making the vehicles yeah yeah exactly and that that's that's what I can't I, I, I'm not saying that, you know, I think this is really important. And I think that, you know, as a planet, we have, you know, we've, we've literally raped the planet for, you know, all sorts of mineral elements for our use. So we've got to be more creative about what we what we use. But what's on the planet is what's on the planet. And but it is possible, Heather, it is possible with with some, um, it's obviously involves data collection, but for example, what uh, the products that we make, one of the products is a um, sustainable um, billet of aluminium. And we can say exactly um, what went into it, what energy was used to make it. So we can define this um, aluminium and, and to, you know, how much it's contributed um, to our carbon footprint. Right. But then our suppliers also um, can then link that into the transport and the production of what they're using it for, and et cetera, et cetera. And there is actually, um, there's a bit of technology that's been used on a bench that's in, um, in um, made in Sweden. And it's actually in a number of parks in Norway at the moment. And there's also one in the factory in Wrexham, which has got a little QR code on it. And using that QR code, you can find out the source of all the materials that went into that bench. So it's a wooden bench with aluminium um, armrests and legs. Um, mm. And you can find out its journey. You can find out its CO2 footprint for the wood and the aluminium and the, where it's been. And, you know, that sort of stuff is available. It just takes effort. But for people yeah. who are concerned and are, are following that sort of um, data, uh, it is available. Yeah. Okay. And I suppose that's the thing, isn't it? That um, when you know when you buy something in a shop, it's very difficult for us to track. Well, obviously, if it, if it's you know beans from you know I don't know. Africa okay well that you you know they've been on a plane but if if it's a load of spuds you don't really know where they've you know where they've been the washing process you know all of those different things which and it is not, possible it's not just a case of so how how do you do that then well it, it, it's part about ma making your whole supply chain responsible for keeping the information and then um so the way that this one done was using blockchain technology which we've very lightly touched on previously haven't we but you know it, it's a um it's about managing data um and and it's a responsibility then of everybody in the supply chain to provide that data and it's as simple as then if that's all collected you could scan a barcode. I mean, already you you can find out, you know, that sack of spuds, you can find out what farm it came from. Yes, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose. And then it yeah. just takes a little bit more effort from the producers. And and also it, it has to be a bit of a pull thing. Consumers have to want it, don't they? Otherwise, why would producers um, provide this? Because it, there's a lot of effort involved. Yeah. But, there's a pull from the market to know this sort of information then there'll be a move towards providing it well I suppose using the example that you used about the um the QR code on that bench you, you as the manufacturer being able to offer that will make you more appealing to the people who are manufacturing those benches if it's important to them yeah so it sets you 
apart from other yeah and, clients, and if guess. you look at car manufacturing they'll they'll be asking their suppliers well we need they'll be saying we need to reduce our carbon footprint show me what you can do to reduce yeah. yours so they they'll actually be pulling from their suppliers to help them to reduce mm-hmm. their carbon footprint so i think that's one of the ways you know that it's going to pull upwards you know so yeah. car manufacturers want to produce the greenest car everybody along the way is going to have to reduce their carbon footprint in order to help the um end result to be low in carbon yeah i see yeah okay okay now i i was also interested because obviously we we talking to um small business largely um you know we're, we're um we've come from small business backgrounds ourselves so i was thinking so what you know that everything i've read is about big business and their carbon yeah. footprints and having the power and the deep pockets to be able to do these investments what about the smes and um as luck would have it there was a press release from the government it's on gov.uk and the press release was titled calling all small businesses to lead the charge to net zero have you okay. seen this no i haven't no that maybe you can sign up heather being an SME yourself, yeah. Um, Together for Our Planet campaign encourages small businesses to cut their emissions to net zero by 2050 or sooner, while helping them to grow, adapt and seize new opportunities. So um, this was announced in May. It's not something I've seen before until I went looking for it. So um, whether I've missed it, so maybe because I'm not in the SME sector anymore, I, um, I, I don't really know. But you'd sort of think, actually, it would have been something a bit more obvious in the business world. Mm. So well, um, considering how many SMEs there are, you know, if you join all of those together, they yeah. have the potential to make a massive impact, don't they? Yeah. So it says here, actually, in the press release, um, UK's 6 million small businesses make up 99% of the UK's enterprises, employing 60% of the workforce and generating 2.2 trillion of revenue to the economy. Wow. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's that's a sector that needs to be yeah. um, focused on. Yeah. So it, it's what they've launched is uh, this um, Together for Our Planet a Business Climate Leaders campaign. And it's to encourage small and micro businesses, Heather, to commit yeah. to putting their emissions in half by 2030 and to net zero by 2050. And what they've created is a hub, a UK business climate hub that you can sign up for. You can get practical tools, resources and advice to understand your emissions and to develop a plan to tackle them. Um, and it's simple things by the look of it, um, installing energy saving light bulbs, switching to electric vehicles, using cleaner forms of transport, environmentally friendly packaging options, introducing cycle to work schemes. So it's not rocket science. No. A lot of these things are, are actually already um, available. And um, it looks to me like it's something you just sign up for, put your name to and say that you're committed to it. All I could see was like um, an area where, where you go and you put your email address, you can put your logo in to say that you're committed to making a difference. Um, 
there is also an, a few small case studies about small businesses that have already signed up for it. And um, so Clean Distilling shed one gin, a uh, gin distillery in Ulverston in Cumbria. Um, they've committed to being net zero by 2030. It wow, uses okay. recycled, recyclable and compostable packaging, recycles water used during the gin distilling process. Um, we've got perfect marriage. So <laughs> from gin to marriage, uh, family run wedding venue offers a sustainable option for weddings and wedding receptions and has committed to cutting carbon emissions to zero by 2030 and believing it will have reduced emissions by 50% by the end of next year. And they've done that by removing all single-use plastic, replacing windows with more energy-efficient ones, switched to a renewable energy supplier, installed a rainwater harvesting system, and procuring from local and sustainable suppliers. So um, yeah, I think it's re really interesting to just go and have a look. There's a snack company, um, a sofa company, um, and an energy efficiency specialist who you would rather hope that they uh, would be leading the way with that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, um, it, it's worth taking a look. You can either go through the press release, which is on gov.uk, or you could just go straight to the website, which is businessclimatehub.org.uk. And I suppose that just goes to show that it's everybody's responsibility, isn't it? Yeah, you know, we can all, from a from a business point of view, we can all do something in the same way that on a personal level, we can all we can all do something to make changes. Um, yeah, I think sometimes the argument is, well, I'm only small, and look at these massive polluters. You know, you, you can look at factories on the industrial estates around. You know, you see chimneys and things like that. But believe me, those companies are looking at it. They are motivated to change. Most of them, certainly in the UK, because that's the way that society is pushing them. Yes, so I think yes. you know you can do your little bit as well, and you'll be you'll be part of that pull to get the bigger suppliers to actually be um, reducing their carbon emissions too. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. It's complex, but it's um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we're going to be hearing more about it, obviously, next week with the uh, COP26 uh, conference that's taking place. I feel like uh, I know slightly more about it than we did before anyway. So that's well, helpful. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yes, and I know about gross zero, which was <laughs> I didn't even know was a thing. That's brilliant. OK, should we move on to our review for this week? Yes, please. Let's do which is a book um, by a guy called Richard Shotton, and it's called The Choice Factory. And it's talking about behavioural biases that influence what we buy. Now, I, I bought the book. You can, you, can get, you can download a sample chapter um, from Richard Shotton's website. Um, so that's, um, that's interesting in itself. But I actually bought the book because this is... This is something that absolutely just floats my Heather, so, so all those post-it post notes, that's a good sign for a book. If ever it's, anybody wants a review, all they need to do really is task Heather to take a picture of the book. And if <laughs> post-it notes in there, then she really liked it. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's, um, it's, 
it, the way it's constructed, I think, is really clever. So you know how we like a story, don't we? Um, yeah. Something that, that, that a thread that goes through a book. So, so what he's done here is he's taking us on a, 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 a typical day. And at the beginning of each chapter, he sets the scene for where we are at that point in the day. So essentially, um, he, he talks about, you know, you slam your front door closed and trudge towards your car. Um, and, and it's, you know, and there are commuters and you um, you get to a particular point and you make an assumption or you arrive at a thought. And then he expands on what was going on to make you think in that way. And he does that at the beginning of each chapter to set a scene. So that's fantastic because we go from, you know, leaving home to uh, traveling to work, to get into the office, to going out and buying lunch, to um, buying treats for colleagues, to, you know, choosing what coffee to have, all of those different things and, and the clever things that are going on sub that are um, subliminal to us, but conscious from a marketing point of view. Um, that makes us make a decision one way or the other. So it, it, it's really interesting. Did you did you get the book or what did you do, Trace? Well, I um, I got the sample from the um, massive online retailer whose owner goes to space, and I really really liked it. Um, I I've put it down on my wish list actually because what I read so far, I thought you know this is fascinating. At the beginning of the book, it says it's aimed at professionals working in advertising and marketing. It does go on to say if you run your own business or are interested in behavioral sciences, then there's plenty to interest you. So I'm in the in the second camp there. Okay. I just thought it was genuinely interesting. And whether I was looking at it from a marketing point of view or not, I thought the the research, the way it was written as well, was really interesting. And I think has far wider impact than just marketing. If you're communicating with people, if, if you're, you know, just engaging with your customers and your suppliers, this sort of information is absolutely fascinating and could be really valuable. So I, I think I had um, the introduction and a couple of chapters in the sample, um, and that made me add it to my wish list because I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's brilliant. And, and I think what you've just said is absolutely um, spot on. In fact, um, because, I, because I'm massively into communication and how we communicate, um, I, was at, I was at a, a networking event recently and somebody was given a presentation. And when we think about the language that we use, so on one of the, I took a photo of um, the slide because something really grated on me. Um, and basically what they had said so they put up a slide talking about what they do who they are and the, and one of the bullet points said we spend a lot of time telling people what they can and cannot do with their own money now that to me is a negative statement helping people to understand what they can and can't do but telling people like why do not you to tell me no you to advise me support me guide me Help educate you to make me, your choice yeah. exactly 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 and he talked in this book he talks about something called negative social proof and again this is something that I often I shout at the telly sometimes I've got to that age <laughs> <laughs> where 
they, you know, they they tell you something, um, you know, somebody's committed a crime and they tell you about it. And I go, gosh, I wouldn't even think of doing that. And so now it's, <laughs> it's, no, it's, it's that. <laughs> and he, he talks early on in the book, actually, he says that, um, that there were some signs that were put in um, a, a national forest where there was vandalism taking place. So they they had two signs. So the first sign said, please don't remove the petrified wood from the park, changing the natural state of the petrified forest. Right. So that's the second sign said many past visitors have removed the petrified wood from the park, changing the natural state of the petrified forest. So that second sign is saying to people that removing the wood from the forest is a thing. That, <laughs> you know, that, you've done it before and got away with this. Exactly. So 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 that's is a negative so it was it was designed to reduce crime but it actually boosted it they you know they did some measurements um because it was it was a crime promotion strategy rather than a crime prevention strategy and so sometimes <laughs> we're sub- seeds are being sown um that didn't ever need to be sown because they, they're going to have a negative impact so you know it, it's that sort of stuff that he talks about throughout the book um so the, can I just ask um through the whole of the book is it the same um chapter um format so it starts off by um a premise and then there's the yeah, research yeah. and then yeah, does yeah. it say how to apply it at the end yeah how it does apply yeah, it. Yeah, okay. yeah, I really yeah. enjoyed that and the first two chapters I read I, I the um, the sections were very clearly delineated and the chapter always finished with how to apply this effect. I thought that yeah, was a, yeah. a really nice yeah. format. Yeah, and, it, and it, it also gives some examples of where it has been used. So um, in one of the chapters, they talk about um, where, uh, I can't remember which one it was now, um, in, in an advertising campaign, where um they say things like reassuringly expensive i can't remember which which one it is you know so, um, yeah. and uh which is uh, stella i think it was is it stella lager um reassuringly expensive so you know that's that's actually saying this is expensive stuff but that's a good thing because it's going to be quality yeah um there's a car rental company that they say the second the voted the second best car rental company in the world or something um which is demonstrating that and they said you know we, we're second but we're tr- but we're trying really yeah. hard rather than we're number one first yeah they, they might yeah. complacency mightn't they yeah rest on your laurels yeah. So, yeah. so you know you can use you can use that so yeah he, he uses it's the whole it's a whole day um there's a premise a scenario what's going on and then how you can use this to your advantage or avoid it you know if it's not advantageous if it's not a good thing like the um the crime promotion (laughs) (laughs) now um did you take a look at richard shutton's website heather I had I had a brief glance, um, but I thought that you were I thought you were going to be going there, so I kind yeah. of thought I'd leave it to you. Yeah, I, I took a look. It's richardshotton.com and there's a page on the Choice Factory. Um I'm gonna say um I also followed the link from there onto his Twitter account. That's worth a follow, actually. Um he, he's not just quoting his own books all the time. Um he's he, he 
takes photos of a section in a book, a quote and something that he finds interesting. So a book that he's currently reading or has read and, and then starts his tweet with that. And there's quite a lot of those in his recent Twitter history. I found those quite fascinating, actually. Mm. So I've started to follow him. Um, his Twitter name is at R. Shotton. Okay. Um, and he started his career as a media planner. He worked on some big accounts such as Coke, Lexus, Compare the Market, and then specialised in applying behavioural science to business problems. And he runs training sessions with his consultancy firm called Astro 10. Um, yeah, and he's, he's basically... Um, behavioural scientist, social psychologist, um, and quite accessible as well. The way that he writes um, is, is not at all, um, which, well, it's not too heavy with academic stuff. It backs mm -hmm. up um, yeah. the research with the academic references, but it's not full-on heavy. But one thing I thought you might like, Heather, is this visual. It's... Um, it's underlining the fact that um, he says the Choice Factory is the new advertising essential. And there's a graphic here of the World Cup of Ad Books 2018. Okay. <laughs> the Choice Factory wins the World Cup, but it's got all the different groups um, A to H with the, all, all this um, down to the last 16, then the quarterfinal, then the semifinal, and then the final. And Obviously, it's pointing you towards the Choice Factory being the winner. In the final was the Choice Factory and Decoded. Um, Decoded was in Group H originally. The Choice Factory was in Group C. Made it all the way to the final. But what you'll see in there is a whole list of other advertising books and presumably how Richard Shotton views them. Um, so okay. there's a number of books that we, we've looked at in the past. Um, Thinking Fast and Slow. Um, let's have a look. Ogilvy on Advertising. We've mentioned that one when we looked at um, Ogilvy ourselves. Um, oh, there's a couple, couple that I'm quite interested to have a look at, um, especially Decoded, as that came second in the final. Um, Digital Darwinism sounds interesting. Right. Um, one plus one equals three. I've not heard of a few of these. Um, one's called Damn Good Advice. <laughs> that sounds good. So, yeah, just a, a really interesting little graphic, which has played out like a World Cup, which I thought was quite cute. But, yeah, um, having had a, a quick look through his website, there's not a massive amount on there, but, you know, there's there's some research, resources and you get to know Richard a little bit better as well. But certainly I would recommend following his Twitter account. Um, it's really interesting. Excellent. No, good. It's a it's it's a really good book. Um, you're right to have it on your wish list. I think you're going to love it. Um, and and as you say, it's written in a way that is accessible, easy to digest. Um, he uses the storytelling method and explains it. Yes, it's backed up by research, as you say, but actually it's put in layman's terms so that even somebody like me can um, can understand it. But uh, yeah, it's it's good. Fifteen quid, um, although I don't think I paid that for it. Um, you can buy it on his website, um, or you can buy it um, at all good booksellers. So yeah, and I've got a feeling you mentioned in that World Cup of ad books, we might be reviewing some of those books in the coming months. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
it sounds like a good resource for us. <laughs> yeah, strange you should say that, Heather. Yes, <laughs> I, I did rather see it as a an opportunity to find uh, some some interesting reads. <laughs> Although I, I I always feel like I'm going to be like, oh, well, I'm only reading the one that made it to the quarterfinal here. <laughs> well, do you know what the um. I, I guess that what he's done there is, is again, something that he alludes to in the book. You know, you can mention the competition. And so basically, you know, yeah, there's a he's, what he's doing in that visual is, uh, which I've just got up on my screen, is he's given us a load of books that we could buy. But he's basically saying, buy this book. Yeah, because this is how it I wins. compare to them. Yeah. 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 So So looking at it, you could think, oh, there's so many books to choose from here. And we're actually being subconsciously we're being directed to the one that he wants us to to buy which is clever <laughs> okay so we we talked about sustainability at the top of the podcast now we're going to talk about sustainable clothing and particularly the founder of bamboo clothing bam uh, a mr david gordon you you yes, pulled yes. this one out of the hat, Heather. Um, had you heard of David Gordon before, and had you used any um, any of his bamboo apparel? Yes, I have. Uh, it's it's an interesting story in that um, one day a pair of socks arrived through the post, and I believe that bamboo socks. I have for a long time believed that bamboo socks are the best socks because they are so soft on your feet. And a new pair of bamboo socks, that is like, that. You know, you're going to have a good day if you put those on. So a pair of bamboo socks arrived with BAM on them, just free of charge. And I was like, what's this? Wore them, liked them. Anyway, they kept arriving every now and then. A pair of socks would arrive with a, a catalogue. Uh, right, this is an interesting marketing mechanism because you just keep sending me socks and I haven't bought any then so but I follow BAM on um, social media then one day um, I got a message from BAM saying that I'd won a voucher to spend um, a hundred pound voucher to spend on their clothes because somebody had nominated me as doing something amazing during lockdown um, so I then went and bought some of their clothes so I've not I was gonna say more socks how many socks no, no, no I didn't I actually bought a pair of leggings with like a skirt on and a t-shirt um made out of bamboo they're, they're beautiful the quality is lovely I have bought socks now as gifts for people but so I suppose I've converted into a customer but I thought it was a really interesting marketing technique um but but I'd never heard of of him uh, uh, of David Gordon before but I knew I knew of the company. But he's well, already. I want some socks now, Heather. I've got bamboo socks, but I I want some to just appear at my oh, door. I know it's <laughs> it's incredible. I've I've probably got half a dozen pairs of bam socks um, <laughs> that I've never bought. Well, I love bamboo. Whether it's bamboo socks or bamboo toilet paper, we have a bamboo floor in our kitchen dining room. We have a bamboo kitchen surface as well. So I, I do I, like bamboo. I've liked bamboo for a long time, and that's because it is um, a real sustainable, highly sustainable product, um, and it's 
it's obviously now becoming more popular, but I think it was 2007 or thereabouts that we had the, the bamboo floor and the bamboo um, wooden surface. And I, I was looking around for um, more sustainable uh, we, we'd had some work done on the house, so we were redoing quite a lot of it. And I was just looking for something that was more sustainable. And interestingly enough, on um, BAM's website, they do explain why bamboo is a great product for clothes. So that it's soft, you've already mentioned, uh, provides UV protection, it's kind to the skin, manages moisture and is good for thermo control. But the reason why it's a good um product for sustainability is that it, it doesn't need so much water it only needs rainwater to grow it's got um a massive yield compared to cotton it grows naturally without use of pesticides or fertilizers it grows fast apparently it's the fastest growing plant in the world and um it's sustainable with the soil because you don't actually um, pull it up. You just cut it off. So it's grass. So you, you cut it and then you're not disturbing the soil. So anyway, that's about that's the in praise of bamboo. Let's get back to David Gordon, shall we? Yeah, well, his his story is an interesting one in that he sort of started making. Um, he started printing T-shirts when he was a student in his garage, but. But they start his story on the on um, or I, I found an article on Green Finder um, and it, on a manhaul expedition across Greenland with a team of elite Gurkhas and looking out over one of the great untouched wildernesses of our planet. David realized that we wanted to create a viable and environmentally sustainable business. So, you know, OK, so he's trekked across Greenland dragging dragging his stuff behind him in a sledge um, and he has this this sort of epiphany and and that is certainly what he's he seems to have done his 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 goal is to um um get people to be the best that they can be um he's got he's now got a team of 40 well actually i think the latest figure 65 staff because they had exponential growth during um covid um but he started his business in 2006 um, ran it from his his garage and he says you know, we offer an excellent product with excellent service we have fun doing it and sustainability is at our, our core and talking about net zero their aim is to be net zero by 2030 so zero waste to landfill zero pollution and zero wasted water and that that's going to that applies to every single process from the growing of the bamboo to the manufacturing of the clothes and to the way that they're recycled. So, um, and he said, that's why we got into business in the first place. That's good. Did you know that he used to be a pole vaulter? Well, yeah, that's another, again, another thing. Um, he, he did used to be a pole vaulter. So he, because a lot of the stuff that he makes is sport clothing. So he's, he says that he spent a lot of time with people who wear certain clothing for you know so like intelligent clothing for sport and so he knows what works and what doesn't but he he competed didn't he he was a 
Yeah, it's interesting. If you look at Bamboo Clothing's website, bamboocloathing.co.uk, on the About page, it does describe his background exactly like you say. He started selling T-shirts while he was at Loughborough University. said that was to finance his world tour, so um, backpacking. said uh, it only half works, but he went on his tour anyway. Then he set up TSF clothing as a means to pay for his pole vaulting career. And it says in brackets, he was too rubbish to earn any money from it. Okay. <laughs> at least he's honest. Um, and then he says, he, after finally getting better at pole vaulting, he was now too old to be any good. <laughs> so interesting there um he he did actually go on to um to win some um awards for older people he says the olympics for older people uh, in oh 20 god how old is he now he's not that old is he <laughs> no he isn't but uh, presumably <laughs> too old to win um uh, medals in the normal olympics i'm guessing but in 2017 it says he became the world masters games champion which is the olympics for older people <laughs> so he fe- he said he fell back in love with pole vaulting again and, and was astonished to find that he could still actually run and vault so oh. yeah and he still em- enjoys um, a wide range of outdoor activities such as kayaking hill walking trail walking um and snowboarding so um what i was going to talk about was this um inspiration behind setting up the business so you mentioned about them aiming to be net zero so he sold um tsf clothing it became um a leading corporate clothing company um and he sold that in 2004 and he spent some time then looking for what he called the holy grail of business which is where everybody wins socially and environmentally. And he said it wasn't enough just being less negative. So I don't want to be less negative. It's much more fun to do something good. And so he spent some time um, working on Bamboo Clothing, um, which launched in 2006, and said that it, it... it pushed him out of his comfort zone of a nice cushy business because he wanted to find something more inspiring to do. And this whole ethos of it's not enough just being less negative. Interesting angle. Yeah. Yeah. That, 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 well, and everything that I've seen about him, see, it, he seems to be consistent in his approach to life to business, to his staff, to, you know, to the planet. Um, and I would say, I mean, it, 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 it's almost one of those, it feels a little bit like, you know, when they say, oh, find something that you love doing and you'll never work another day in your life. Mm. It's as though he's found his purpose and, and he's managing because it's true to him and from his heart. Yeah. And he's managing to make, make a living out of that a very good living out of that for himself and um and his staff so yeah um, so you've got some of the figures here um so from an article in the times from july this year um the devon-based maker of socks and sports apparel sold 16.3 million pounds worth of goods last year with profits of 2.8 million and then its sales this year 
are set to top 24 million. Mm. And it mm-hmm. currently employs 65 people. They're brilliant. I, I went to Company's House and had a look at the accounts. And um, and basically they're saying that, you know, year on year, that growth has averaged about 28% year on year. Uh, but in 2020 to 21, it was 43%. And they said that growth could have been greater, but it was limited by availability of stock rather than demand. And obviously there's some COVID, you know, there's COVID in there. Um, But they're also, um, he says, we were all, they say we were also able to sell more at full price, full price, um, rather than giving it away. (laughs) (laughs) Heather? We should just add that um, we're not getting any kickbacks for for talking about bamboo closing today. Um, however, no, we've had them. I've already had them. <laughs> <laughs> but that isn't the reason we're profiling David Gordon. Just quickly to no. add. However, no. if anybody wants to send us some nice bamboo socks, I'm not averse. <laughs> no, of course, of course. So um, a quick look on social media as well, Heather. Was there was there much that you could find? I mean, his LinkedIn account doesn't look very active, particularly. No. Uh, although I notice I've got one mutual connection with him. He's only got ninety three connections, so I'm saying he's mm, not really not using cool. that. And no. Twitter account, it hasn't been used since twenty thirteen. No, so, I, I did like his Twitter bio though. Adventurer, founder, meddler, and accidental saboteur of bam bamboo clothing. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what he means by accidental saboteur, but um, yeah, but he's not using Twitter. I maybe yeah, maybe social maybe media is not his thing. Maybe he's a TikTok guy. And we all know what uh, <laughs> what we think of TikTok. I haven't, I haven't quite mastered it yet. Anyway. The, the story is an interesting one. The business is very successful. I mean, even just re- reading their um, their strategic report, you know, their company report at the top of their accounts is interesting. Um, you, you know, what they're trying to do, um, what uh, they've got their impact positive. So they, they've got an impact positive plan. Um, and they, what do they say? Becoming carbon positive by measuring and offsetting our carbon footprint footprint from bamboo forests to up to 50 washes of each garment sold and and uh, remove all plastic from our packaging. Um, and this this report was from August 2021. So um, excellent stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. If you haven't already got yourself some bamboo socks, again, not on any commission, I can hearty recommend them. Other people make bamboo socks. You don't have to be bam, but um, yeah. If you want, to, if you want to treat your feet, get some bamboo socks. Treat your feet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's not talk about feet. I'm not a big fan. 